0: You're listening to the Transport for the North podcast. Welcome to the Transport for the North podcast. I am your host Gemma and today we are going to be talking all things freight. This is a hugely important topic not just for our region but of course for the wider economy all around the world as well and very excitingly we have got our freight and logistics strategy out for consultation right now. So joining me to tell us all about it is my lovely colleague Lucy Hudson. She is our Principal Policy Officer for Freight and Logistics. Welcome to the podcast Lucy. Hi how are you? I'm yes well, I'm very well thank you, you. how are it you?
1: Is. I'm all right thank you I'm really well.
0: Excellent I'm glad to hear it thank you so much for joining us today so uh, let's get started. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself your work at Transport for the North and why Freight and Logistics is so important.
1: Thanks Gemma well i first sort of started in freight and logistics when i was working um in and around the humber and i saw in the transport networks there how vitally important um the freight sector and the logistics activity because of the port activity especially around that area um and how important that was to both the area and also the economy as a whole so that kind of p- sort of piqued my interest i then realized that the road and the rail were sort of intrinsically linked so there was opportunities to to reduce the number of vehicles on the road by putting some more stuff on the railway that we, we couldn't do at that point because the, the um, facilities weren't weren't particularly especially around containers weren't there um but we moved at the at that time we moved huge amounts of coal and biomass so that was a so i knew that the opportunities were there and to change and to grow and, and as the um emerging decarbonisation agenda was coming forward i knew that would be really important and so I realised, and I also realised that the freight industry in that area was so important. But people, uh, you know, the the, the the railway and the road users were kind of um, hitting the headlines about we 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 um, retained a retained a rail service. We we were building additional um, building link roads. We were building additional infrastructure around the area, but the freight aspect was. Sort of less it was less visible and less heard and that was because the freight can't speak but people can and so i realized at that point that i wanted to be the voice and the face of freight almost um both for the area but also and then and then luckily i was able to come to transport for the north and be the face of freight for the north as well
0: so why um why did transport for the north decide to set out a freight and logistics strategy and and tell us about how we've got to the point where we are now where we've got a a a draft strategy and it's out for consultation
1: well when we when we first um set up transport for the north it was there was the legislation that enabled us to be an organization and part of that legislation said we have to have a transport strategy so all our effort was put into developing the strategic transport plan to make sure the north could agree on one position for the for the entire North about what we want to see in the investment program and how we then can um, advise government and offer our own statutory advice to government to say this is the these the investment priorities across the North now the now at that point and and since the board unanimously agreed that and it was a really strong position that we were able to take and say this this is the package that we want to that we want invested in government so that was good Um, and part of that strategic transport plan there was three elements that were within that. it was connecting people, connecting business and moving goods. Now when you think connecting businesses and moving goods, it's basically the logistics and freight and logistics sector. So that was a real intrinsic part of what we were doing even though we didn't label a separate document about freight and logistics, it was an intrinsic part of our strategy across the north of England. Moving on from that, I mean, that was sort of 2018 and 19 when we were developing all that work. Moving on from that, uh, there was the emergence of the decarbonisation agenda. Um, so we, so that, that became much more sort of headline focus. And then, you, and then we, you could see that there was areas of work that we could further develop across the, across the organisation. So there was a focus on the road work with the major road report, um, with the long-term rail strategy, and moving forward on our Northern Powerhouse Rail programme
0: the 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 strategy itself and the the draft strategy is is out there it's available we've got a fantastic virtual consultation space everything's still on online heading into 2022 and uh, another year of doing everything via uh, (laughs) via video calls um so tell us about the uh the consultation how people get to it what we need from them and 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 what they can uh, get involved with
1: I mean, the room is phenomenal. I mean, um, we've worked with a really strong consultant team who very creatively set up to set us up. Um, it just it basically it's a virtual room. So if you've got an Oculus Quest, have a, have a go and <laughs> you can wander around in, in person almost. Um, but it what it does is it, it sets. It sort of separates out the different elements of the strategy so you can look at if you're interested in the networks, if you're interested in decarbonisation of freight, if you're interested in our data and modelling aspects, our future scenarios—you can see all those things separately. And there's a nice map where you can look at all of the different assets across the north and think: Are they the? Are those? You know, have we got the right patterns of where things connect? The connectivity patterns—is all that—is all that right? Um, so, if you click into all of those different elements, you will see not only the section from the strategy. So it's nice, nicely parceled up for you, so you can do a quick bit of reading you can then also have there's also consultation questions So just click in some of them you can write free text if i mean the quick and easy way of doing it is definitely in our virtual engagement space because you'll just be clicking things and it'll all happen um but if you want to spend a bit more time um which i know some people do and that's their that's their personal style then have a look at the pdf as well but but definitely go to our go to our website transport transportforthenorth.com and then click on the freight and logistics um, pages and then you'll see the press there's a press release and you'll get all the links to where you need to go
0: um so for a bit more of the conversation then we have also recently held one of our tfn talks uh free online webinars you may remember these series uh from over the past year or so and they've been a fantastic way for us to shout a bit more about our work and bring industry experts and key players and people together to talk about some of the hot topics of the day so of course this month we held one all about freight and logistics lucy you were on that panel tell us a little bit more about who was who was there
1: right so well right we it was it was phenomenal i mean when, when we put the call out it we got we got a guest list that was just a dream guest list so we've got peter hendy um, who chairs network rail and he's recently published the work on the union connectivity review which is looking at um the kind of main routes across the uk not just the north and it's a really strong piece of work that helped that really contextualizes a lot around imports and exports and the, the key routes and the way that the way, way that that those relationships happen. So he's a really, really key person, um, and he's been at the heart of some of the national thinking um on freight and logistics recently, which is which is brilliant. Um and we've got Peter Kennan, who's our TFM board member um uh, from the South Yorkshire LEP, um, and that's sort of Sheffield area. And he's and I've known Peter for for ages and he's got such a passion um for the logistics industry and helping people understand that that the industry, not, not only around Sheffield, so things like Doncaster, um, Sheffield Airport, you've got the airport rail hubs in the area. So he's got a massive sort of um, area of understanding in that area, but he's also he's also been championing um, the sort of enterprise element on our board. So Peter's been brilliant um, in terms of freight and logistics activity at TFN. And then of course, you've got Maggie Simpson, who is um, the Director General of the Rail Freight Group. Now she, now it's probably, partly her fault that I'm in this industry because I heard her speak really early on I thought oh you can talk about freight in a really understandable way in just plain language and no nonsense approach um so Maggie is just phenomenal she represents all the rail freight sector in such a brilliant way and when she speaks it's like it's really worth listening to because she just articulates the main issues especially around decarbonisation about how the industry works um, in such a concise and understandable way um you always leave having learned something from her right you know it's just brilliant so i was really pleased um to be joined by those people
0: yeah absolutely it really was a, a great session and as lucy says uh uh, fantastic panel of experts, some great discussion points. So yeah, we are bringing you uh, the highlights of that right now, but if you would like to watch the recording, because it was done uh, on video call, so you can see it as well, uh, the full recording is on our website. If you head to transportforthenorth.com and navigate across to the TFN Talks page, you'll find the video recording there, uh, but here's some of the uh, the best bits.
1: Hello welcome to the TFN Talks. The lineup today is particularly brilliant. We'll move on to Sir Peter Hendy, then Peter Kennan, um, and then Maggie Simpson. All those people represent different areas of the rail and the the transport industry and different kind of different facets of the freight and logistics industry. So we're going to get a very different um, perspective from each of our speakers, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, Peter Hendy.
2: Uh, good morning, everybody. It's a, it's very nice to be invited, and I'm uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Uh, and uh, what shall I say? Well, c- certainly, firstly, who I am. Uh, I've been the chair of Network Rail for six years now. Uh, before that, I was the commissioner of transport for transport for London for nearly ten years. Uh, I have been uh, a board member of Transport for the North for the whole of my time at Network Rail until very, very recently. Uh, and I was also asked by the Prime Minister um, some months ago now to uh, review the connectivity of the United Kingdom, and my final report on Union connectivity was published a few weeks ago. Um, so uh, those are, I think, all relevant pieces of background. Um, what, what, what should I say in opening? Well, I, I think the thing, to, the, the first thing to say, is that transport for the North has done some very good work indeed. I think the principle uh, which was done now some time ago at TFN, of looking at the uh, looking at the economic development of the north of England and then deriving a, tra- a transport strategy from the work on uh, on the e- economy of the north of England is 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 actually the right principle. And therefore I think that also having a freight logistics strategy is an integrally very good thing. Uh, and therefore, uh, both I personally and Network Rail uh, are will be very supportive uh, and contribute to the freight and logistics strategy for the north of England. And as you've just heard, that actually this is a particularly um, a good moment to consider these issues in the light of COVID and in the light of the um, of the increasing use of the railway network for freight since COVID started in March 2020. Blimey, loose track of the years, March 2020, um, and also because of the environmental uh, uh, and sustainability and decarbonisation agenda. So it's a a very good time to review what what needs to be done in freight and logistics uh, in the north of England. I'm also pleased that the approach that TFN have taken in this work is very similar to the methodology I've taken Uh, I used in the union connectivity review, review, uh, looking at wider economic benefits, identifying major corridors for investment, um, and indeed some of the corridors that that this work is identifying are similar to the corridors that I've identified in the UCR as ones in which the, the UK government ought to take an increased interest. Uh, on the grounds of better economic development of the of the United Kingdom so I think that's all good stuff we're we're also as you just heard at a crossroads because not only is there a huge subject about decarbonising the railways of which uh, one element but not the not all the elements are about rail electrification but also it's the first time for a very long time where actually rail freight might have an advantage over road freight simply because decarbonisation of heavy lorries seems to me to be further away than in in terms of technology than the technology of decarbonising the railway and that's a great opportunity for the railway to get uh, more involved in in freight transport Uh, and it's one that we ought to take. Of course it's all dependent on investment and very largely investment in the railway's government investment uh, and they don't have unlimited money, certainly not after Covid and we're also not in a stronger position on the as we were because the passenger revenue is much reduced so there's inevitably got to be some choices made not all of which are popular um, we, you'll all know on this that, that there were some unpopular choices made in the publication of the of the, um, of the integrated rail plan for the north of England and I suspect that there are more choices to be made both about decarbonisation and about where rail capacity investment goes um, but it's a good it, it, it's certainly a worthwhile debate to be had pointing out the link between better freight and logistics and economic development is of course the way in which uh, you persuade the government to invest more and invest in the right places I think the thing I've just finished with is that the point which was just made about uh, in relation to Ely for example is actually very important There may well be places outside the north of England where investment needs to be made in order to facilitate freight and logistics to and from the north of England. And that's one of the principles of the Union Connectivity Review, which is that investment in one part of the country can facilitate economic development in another. And we have to be mindful of that when we look at where government's putting its money. We should also be mindful of it in recommending where government should should spend money. So better investment on the railway to get more freight, rail freight to and from Felixstowe is likely to have large benefits to the Midlands and the north of England, even though the investment is somewhere outside it. Um, I'll contain my remarks to that. Thank you very much for listening. And I'm very happy to answer some questions, Lucy. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Peter. That was a really good insight um, and sort of an opening set of remarks. Thank you very much. Now I'm going to move on to Peter Kennan um, from the South Yorkshire Lab, And welcome, Peter. Um, The floor is yours for for the next five minutes. Thank you.
3: Um, Thank you very much, Lucy. Um, Great to be here. Um, Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm Peter Kennan, um, I am the thematic lead for transport and environment at, at South Yorkshire uh, Local Le- Le- Enterprise Partnership, and I sit on Transport for the North board as business representative for South Yorkshire. Uh, and it's it's important to just note really the very important role uh, of Transport for the North in bringing together elected and business representatives to give that business voice uh, to key issues, um, including freight and logistics, which we're here to talk about today. So I'll just uh, make some initial comments. Uh, Transport is a facilitator. We we use that as a rather glib expression. Um, a Facilitator of what? Um, Yes, getting goods and people around in an efficient manner, uh, but it's also a key mechanism to drive growth. Uh, but not growth at any cost. Um, growth in a greener and fairer way. Uh, in other words, environmentally sustainable growth and inclusive growth, leaving no community behind. And that's at the heart of what we're aiming for. That growth in the north has been somewhat elusive, um, with a huge productivity challenge. Our GVA is twenty-five percent uh, behind the UK average, and in some plus, in some areas of the north, it's worse than that. So improving freight transport and other transport connections is one part of the jigsaw for addressing uh, that key aspiration of fairer greener growth. So freight and logistics is a really important part of the northern economy. 33% of goods enter the UK through northern ports. You'd barely believe that when you see the media reporting of Operation Stack on the M20 uh, and the disruption caused to supply chains at Felixstowe. Um, But the fact is that that 33% might be even higher um, with the investment. There is room to grow. um, And we need to look carefully at terminals, rail, uh, and integrated road connections and key to that is urgent interventions um, I take on board fully what Peter has just said about choices and uh, sort of restrictions on available finance but there are some key things um, trans-pennine freight in particular and getting the loading gauge uh, and for those not familiar with the of technical terms W12 loading gauge uh, which is to get the biggest containers over the Pennines through the tunnels and over the bridges. Um, that is vitally important. We need to get that earlier, if possible, than, than 2030. Uh, but there are other key pinch points north of Preston on the West Coast Main Line, where there's a lot of intermodal traffic, the East Coast Main Line around Doncaster, uh, Midland Main Line around Sheffield in our area, many, many more. Uh, each region of the north would point to inch points including Ely as Peter's just referred to because getting stuff out of Felix though is a challenge um, for that sort of deep sea container traffic so we've got major logistics hubs across the north uh, specifically in my area we've got numerous clusters including the development of uh, Iport in Doncaster bringing together logistics space a-, a rail terminal opened only uh two or three years ago uh, but already with six short sea and deep sea intermodal trains a day, uh, integrated close proximity to the M18 and a major international airport with a very long runway for cargo traffic. Uh, Our plan must ensure that we unclog and keep unclogged every possible part of our transport network and electric charging of vehicles in particular vans for freight traffic is arguably just just as important as rail electrification. Uh, After all, van use is up 67% in the last 30 years, Uh, not surprising given the uh, um, transformation to uh, delivery, home delivery, but it could still go higher. Um, So the key importance of the whole network is really important and that's why the government's integrated rail plan was so disappointing uh, because there was no integration, there was no joined up thinking on the network. there was no real focus on freight and decarbonisation uh, and on capacity generation, which is the very thing that HS2 and Northern Powerhouse Rail are really there to deal with. So decarbonisation is at the heart of what TFN is doing, uh, greener, fairer growth, as I mentioned. Uh, the freight and logistics strategy gives us a chance to shine a light on that part of decarbonisation. And some, some key statistics, um, 90% of all freight in the north is moved by road. Um, Rail, even with a diesel loco on the front, uh, 76% less carbon emissions than road, um, and HGV van and domestic shipping uh, creating 37% of domestic transport emissions. So it's abundantly clear we must decarbonise road, uh, electrify rail, reduce pollution and noise created by all transport modes. Because health and well-being of people and the impact on the environment are critically important. And we mustn't instinctively say uh, rail good, road bad. Um, Many short, low tonnage volume flows won't work on rail, Um, and so road building to lift blight uh, through noise and pollution uh, emission uh, and to protect natural environment are really important, as well as to deal with major pinch points. So we need to focus more on integrated freight hubs. Uh, We mustn't get like magpies and get excited only by the shiny new things. Uh, Freeports is an example of that. There's a danger of activity displacement um, with freeports, just as there was with enterprise zones. So investment plans must be fair and proportionate and not just look at freeports. Look at inland ports with integrated logistics and multimodal capability and with customs clearance facilities. Uh, So beware of displacement ensure that policies deal with it, rather than just um, following um, the sort of shiny new aspects of development. So freight and logistics strategy uh, gives us an opportunity, a major opportunity, to get engagement and free thinking on this key area. Um, It will then help TFN develop its updated strategic transport plan and to inform conversations with government and national delivery bodies on key investment issues facing the north so thank you very much uh back to you lucy
1: <coughs> thank you very much peter that was absolutely fantastic and a real good in- insight into sheffield some of the local issues around sheffield and the surrounding area um and and some of the wider issues as well so thank you very much um and now finally on our panel i'd like to introduce maggie simpson obe who is director general at the rail freight group um and one of the people who are basically responsible for me being um, interested in freight and logistics. I heard her speak really early on in my career and um, she makes things sound interesting and very easy to understand and I'm hoping um, different insights are going to come forward um, in the next few minutes. So Maggie, over to you. Thank you very much for joining.
4: Thank you very much Lucy and uh, a pleasure to be here today uh, as always on on this webinar. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, uh, as Lucy said, I lead the Rail Freight Group we're a member led Trade Association. And we represent over 100 businesses active in freight transport on the railways. Uh, But I don't really want to start today talking about rail freight. I thought I'd start by talking about our little friend, the lateral flow test, because if you've been following social media over the Christmas period, you couldn't get your hands on any, particularly at pharmacies who had been doing a, a sterling job in distributing them in the run up to Christmas. And of course there were multiple facets to that that story but uh, at the heart of it the wholesale distributor who takes goods out to pharmacies uh, is in the habit of having a a four-day christmas shutdown and that christmas shutdown had meant that uh, those lateral flow tests couldn't get out to where they needed to be and once they reopened that situation has eased and of course you'd look at that and think well that was obvious wasn't it of course people needed those lateral flow tests over christmas what it highlights though that is though if you don't plan for freight you won't get freight right and you won't get the outcome that you want. And that's just one example. Even so far this year, I've read an example of uh, an authority who'd done some urban realm improvements, put down some nice new paving that was being broken up by the HGVs delivering to the stores. The HGVs were being blamed. But of course, if we'd planned for how those stores were going to get their deliveries, we'd probably have had a different outcome. And down a bit closer to my home, uh, to heart, uh, down in South London, a local authority acting to try and get a railhead relocated that delivers aggregates into their area. They want to build houses on that land and they fail to realise that the railhead is bringing in the very materials they'll need to build those houses. So a real disconnect we see time and time again between the planning of freight and the outcomes that people want to see. And so that's why I'm really delighted that Lucy and colleagues at TFN have been able to start work on this, this freight and logistics strategy to try and help improve the planning of freight logistics across the north of England. And why do I think it's important? Why do I think it's so important? Well, firstly, we won't get uh, the rebalancing of the economy and the levelling up that the region needs unless we have effective freight distribution that is cost effective and affordable for business. Secondly, we won't decarbonise the economy of the north of England unless we can make more use of low carbon rail and water and decarbonise freight transport across the piece. And thirdly, politicians in the north of England won't get re-elected if there are empty shelves. There are 15.5 million people, I'm told, who live in the north of England. To put it another way, that's 15.5 million consumers, all of whom expect to see the products they want on the shelves expect to see the Amazon delivery turning up at their door on time and expect to see potholes filled in with building materials. So we absolutely have to get freight and logistics delivery right. And the draft freight strategy gives a blueprint for doing that. Of course, more specifically for rail freight, the strategy gives a framework in which we can help rail freight to grow across the north of England. And I think some of the really important themes that we need to pick up and run with as we develop that strategy forward and implement the plans that it so clearly sets out. I've already been mentioned some of them so far. What are they? Firstly, how do we continue to grow in a time when, as Sir Peter says, we are fiscally challenged? There's no doubt that funding is going to be constrained, but we cannot let that be an excuse for not growing rail freight. So we have to find clever ways of achieving growth without funding if that isn't there. Secondly, how are we going to make progress on decarbonisation? obviously, to meet those 2040 and 2050 deadlines. But actually, when it comes to carbon emissions, we can't wait till then to start. We need to start making less carbon today. So decarbonisation now as well as decarbonisation in the future. How do we improve freight logistics without adding to the cost of living crisis? So when we intervene in ways that cause freight movements to become more expensive, we pass that on to the consumer it adds to the cost of living we're already seeing that with supermarket prices rising on the back of the hgv driver shortage and we can't allow that to run away with itself so being really clear about the cost implication for freight companies businesses and those who use them to ship their goods and how's now with the irp published do we go forward and take the positives forward at pace and particularly there I'm thinking of gauge clearance across the Pennines and the capacity for freight that the ports in the north of England have already been mentioned so desperately need and whatever one's view of the IRP is the commitment to that gauge and capacity across the Pennines is welcome it's been a campaign priority of ours for many years as Lucy and others knows and and we're really pleased to see that commitment written down what we need now is delivery at pace. So that was all from me, a uh, pleasure to be here and look forward to taking some questions and discussions now. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Maggie. That's brilliant. Thank you very much for all that that insight. Now, um, I have done a quick sort of precy of um, some of the questions that we've that we've uh, received Um I'll come to each. I'm going to sort of read the questions out and then I'll come to each speaker in turn. The first couple are going to come from um, questions that we had submitted before the event. And then i'll move on to some of the live questions that are coming through um however i have absolutely um heard sort of read the room or read the virtual room um electrification is definitely up there in one of our and decarbonization is a real strong theme uh running through these these questions so that's something that we can we can pick up um and also connectivity which is really quite really quite obvious when we're talking about freight logistics um, across the north of England. So the first one, the first question I picked out um, is about rail electrification, so we can talk about, so we can um, explore this um, in more detail. So um, I think I'll ask the question and then I'll come to Sir Peter first. Um, So I've got rail electrification is essential for freight as well as passenger. Economies will be achieved through a rolling programme, paying back in the long term through cost and carbon reduction. How do we persuade government, not at least, um, HM Treasury? So, uh, Peter, if you'd like to take that one first, that would be really helpful.
2: Um, I think there are two things I'd like to say about it. The first is that the rail industry itself has a responsibility to reduce the unit cost of electrification. We have not, we Network Rail, have not always been uh terribly good at this. The Great Western main line electrification is the worst example of um, badly specified, um, uh, probably um, not, not beautifully uh, um, uh, con- uh, constructed uh, and the unit cost of that electrification was far too high. Uh, and, and we we know that we've got to make it cheaper. We are making some inroads to make it uh, cheaper, and there's a lot of work going on within Network Rail to reduce the unit cost to make the business cases better and make them more acceptable to government. Uh, some of that is called project speed. However, um, it's also the case that electrification would be a lot cheaper if there was a continuous programme. So, Uh, Network Rail itself has produced a a strategy for electrification. The government has acknowledged that um, actually part of the announcement of IRP is effectively the electrification, both trans-Pennine in stages, some of which is already started in at the, at the York End, and also the electrification, the rest of the middle of the main line, which some of the, some people on the call, most people on the call maybe will remember was 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 stopped uh, uh, four or five years ago and it's now starting again. so there are things in hand, more needs to be done. The rate and the cost would be better if there was a continuous programme, and we're arguing that. Um, uh, with government, but nevertheless, you also have to recognise that actually it must be a progressive programme um, and it does have to have regard to uh, passenger movements as well as freight movements. So I think the other thing I'd say about this is that it ought not to exclude also the consideration of other methodologies of reducing or eliminating carbon in in moving (coughs) in moving things on rail. There will be parts of the railway which will never, in which electrification will never be cost effective. And in those parts of the railway, we've we've got to find innovative ways of reducing carbon emissions to move stuff. Um, The railway is doing quite well. Actually, there's a lot of work going on with hydrogen. Um, I know that there's some work now going on with, um, uh, with green ammonia. Uh, which is uh, which can be used in in powering uh, w- what are effectively conventional diesel engines, uh, and uh, battery technology. Whilst it's not going to be suitable for three or four thousand tonne uh, uh, heavy freight freight trains, um, is a technology which, if it's developed, might produce us um, some of the answers. And and I'd finish just by saying that actually despite but you know and and the, and the pressure for this is is welcome and we in the railway industry have to respond with a cost profile uh, and a capability of doing this which is which is better in future than it's been in the past but the other thing i'd say in, in relation to the road freight industry is that we have a much better chance of making this case and making it stick than i think the hgv industry does because the proportion of payload in an hgv that you lose if you haven't got um, uh, relatively easy diesel fuel and there isn't yet a, a substitute is much greater than it is in a proportionately on a, on, a, on a heavy freight train and I think one of our jobs is to make sure that we exploit the greater sustainability and efficiency of uh, rail uh, freight and for that matter rail passengers whilst whilst the road freight industry is busy trying to crack that problem, which is a different and much greater problem for them than it is for us. But thank you. That is
1: really interesting and it's given me, yeah, it's it, that, that uh, final point about the um, payload of an versus rail is really, really well made. So that's really, that's really set my uh, brain going. Thank you very much for that, Peter. Um, um, Peter Kennan, have you got anything to add to the, to the, to this question?
3: um thank you i'll I'll I support fully what peter is saying um in terms of um where we are I, I think there's a, a much greater acceptance and understanding of the importance of electrification now um I think we've got past that phase of cancelling schemes because of cost overruns um I think we now we are very heavily focused on decarbonisation and and everybody has learnt the lesson of what happened on the great western Um, and we will move on. So um, in any business, um, skills are vital, so I fully support um, rolling programmes uh, because we've got to keep skilled people occupied and we've got to get more skilled people. And in that regard, projects like HS2 are useful in one way because you've got uh, the need for large numbers of um, skilled engineering. In another way, they soak up all the resource for the other projects, so you strike a balance there, but it's got to be helpful that there is this role in program. And the only other thing in terms of persuading uh, government and treasury is the key role that TFN has as an organization. We're very fortunate to have great people um, and we have a database that is second to none of evidence and great analytical tools particularly in relation to the new interpretation of the green book for example so evidence-based submissions are really powerful we can't just stand here and say we should have something or we deserve something we can prove why an investment is needed um, with detailed evidence
1: thank you very much peter that's good thank you very much for that and then maggie
4: Yeah, just a a few points to add to what's been said, uh, and I wouldn't disagree with anything that's been said so far. I mean, just to say, obviously, in order to use electric, the private sector freight operators have got to make the investment in in new locomotives. And having good sight of a forward programme of, of network electrification helps build the case for that investment. And I think, you know, if we're looking at what would probably be buy modes in the first instance, they are an expensive investment and we need to know... That if people are investing in them they can use overhead electric for a significant part of the journeys that they're making in order to get the value uh, and so i think that that means we have to be particularly careful on new electrification schemes that freight is scoped from the outset into them and by that i mean uh, firstly that the power supply is adequate for freight secondly that small little gaps in the network that freight use are are completed and indeed you know uh, peter mentioned the middle of mainline electrification uh, but as i understand it corby to um the route north from corby which freight uses uh, to and isn't included in the scope of that for example so most of our mileage to london would still have to be diesel so can we try and scope into those schemes the bits that freight use uh, that passenger perhaps doesn't to the same degree to make those end-to-end connections work and finally and you know not for, for tfn or any of us on the call but government have to get to grips with how as a society we have an affordable supply of electricity for the long term the current uh, issues with the cost of fuel cost of electricity uh, in our own homes and businesses is is highlight that we really need to stabilize that if our future economy is going to rely on more electricity than it does today
1: thank you very much maggie that was uh also, um, good insights. Now, um, that was our first question. Um, I've got there's um, question second question. I'm going to take in slightly different order, so I'll come to Maggie first, then um, Peter Hendy, and then Peter Kennan. So I'm going to try and make keep, keep us all sort of interested um, and, and jazzed up in the order. Um, and I'm going to have a bash at answering this as well, because if, if if we had Nancy, I'd be allowed to answer things as well. So that I'm going to have a, have a bash at answering this one as well. So is government working with TFN and other regional transport groups around the country to develop a UK-wide freight and logistics strategy? Now, um, from my perspective, um, we work with other sub-national transport bodies, so people like Midlands Connect, England's Economic Heartlands and others, Transport for the Southeast, uh, Peninsula Transport, and all those different organisations also have got freight Interests, and they've got freight people like me um, who do the freight logistics activity in their areas. So we we, check, we hold meetings across our own um, our, with our own freight interests called the Subnational Transport Body Freight Community of Practice. Um, so I kind we I run that because we were um, I was just in the right place at the wrong time to be given that role as chair, um, and it's really co- and it's a really good group because we we share different um, different ways of doing um, considering freight logistics. Um you get a very different perspective if you've got some if you've got um a port like Felix so in your area versus a sort of port like the Humber, you get a very different perspective because lots lots of those different lots of those markets um, and the and the and the transport needs are very different. And if you think people from Portsmouth and Dover, they've got very different um different needs with with the um lorry parking and when you get that operation stack going up the motorway, they have very, very different um pressures, which actually can trigger different things that you're thinking about in your own strategies. So it's re- it is really crucial that the people like that people like us keep talking. We do have um, DFT come to those meetings and that helps us and um, what helps them as well as us um, think differently up across a wider geography and that's where some of the seeds of ideas have come come from about us working together slightly differently. So I do think that, I mean that's all really strong activity we may then decide it's not the right thing to do. But at the moment, when when you have those conversations, it's great to, to sort of sow those seeds of ideas and then look at different ways of, of making, of making the right decisions and things happen. So it's a really sort of fruitful environment. I mean, across the other, the other um, more senior people at, across the SCBs also meet. So we feed into different meetings, but it is very, very cross, um, cross STB, but also cross, we have people from, G- uh, Great British Railways and Network Rail, highways England, and the DFT come to other meetings as well. So it's very, very much sort of you get a cross fertilisation of ideas and people working together. Um, to do a bigger, wider national strategy, then there's the there's the work that um, Great British Rail- Railways are doing, and we're also working with um, National Highways to do to do activity on that as well. And um, Peter Hendy,
2: I mean, I think the answer is government is is working on this um, and the work that I did on the Union Connectivity Review, which sets out a proposed uh, strategic transport network for the whole of the UK, which is in terms of passengers and freight. Um, now, I, uh, the, the, w- when I published my report a few weeks ago, um, uh, my understanding, and I think it was said by the Prime Minister, is that they accept the recommendation for a UK strategic network. That's not every road in and on, on railway line in Britain. Um, but it has that ought to have quite a lot of impact within government in identifying the major transport corridors that create um, economic uh benefit um the, the the other thing i was just looking at is the government's response to the last piece of work from the national infrastructure commission on freight um, and the commitment um to uh to uh, uh, a a long term strategic plan for the freight sector, the future of freight, which they've promised by the end of 2021. So I, I think government are listening to this stuff. Um, and I think that the work that you're presently um, consulting over will be an important contribution to it. So uh, I think I think it's moving in the right direction.
1: Absolutely. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And now Peter Kennan.
3: Uh, thank you. Uh, just to add really briefly to what uh, Peter has just said, um, I, I also think the union connectivity review is really important in this respect. Um, the one thing that TFN can, can help with um, is in the existing strategic transport plan um, and subsequent, we've got the strategic development corridors identified already, and so we can help Peter to put the pieces of the jigsaw in to the union connectivity review from the work we've already done and the work that we're presently consulting on. And uh, I think that would be really very sensible way to go uh, in the future. Thanks, Lucy.
1: Thank you very much. Um, I'm going to have a. We're going to do another rail question and then I'm going to try and find a road question because I think road freight and rail freight are very important. Um, at the moment, the room is very, very rarely. So I think that's that's really helpful because <laughs> we, we've got lots of questions about trains. Um, and so, and I think this is, this is quite a spicy question. So I'm quite excited to hear what people um, think about this. So I'll be coming to Peter Kennan first, then Maggie and then Peter Hendy. So does um, the tradition of giving passenger trains preference over freight trains need revision? I think that's a great question. So um, Peter Kennan.
3: It's a good question. Um, I would hope we get to a point where we don't have to make those choices um, because we have the capacity that's needed to accommodate uh, users of the network. Um, At the present time, the statistics show considerable delay for freight uh, trains across the network waiting for paths through busy passenger areas. Um, And really, we were hoping as a result of interventions such as hs2 and northern powerhouse rail that the increased capacity would mean that we could reduce uh, delays in many parts of the network that are caused to to freight trains so i don't think the question is which should we choose the answer is we should choose neither both should be given priority um, because both uh, are key points within uh, the strategy of greener and fairer growth for our northern economy.
1: Brilliant. Thank you very much, Peter. Um, then we go to Maggie. Maggie, would
4: Yeah, thanks. So I think you know, there's some really good point, some really good work being done at the minute to try and look at the, the you know, the case for how we plan, plan, timetable, and regulate the, the railways, and also the impact of that on, you know, particularly actually on carbon, because stopping a freight train that's half a mile long and starting it again from a stand isn't particularly good for fuel consumption. It's probably not terribly good for performance either, but we do it all the time because frankly that's what we've always done it. So I think that there is a piece around data and analysis. I think there's a piece around the rollout of technology. You know, the freight railway still runs off trust and tops, uh, both of which uh, were invented before I'd started school, um, whereas modern traffic management systems um, ought to be able to be more intellectually capable about the you know the impact of the choices that we make so you know data technology and then i think cultural you know most signalers most controllers at the moment sit under a poster that says putting passengers first so it's probably no surprise that they do but as we move forward into gbr you know we're promised a sort of culture change uh sort of which would be you know i think positive at the same time you know gbr will We'll also be branding and, and operating the passenger trains more directly, albeit under a contract to, to an operator. So, so there's, there's, I suppose, a risk that that culture change gets undone a little bit by that by the ownership, um, which, of course, freight won't, won't be branded in the same way. So, So I think it's a really important point that we we have the data and the technology to make the right choices for the economy and for the environment and that we, you know, we have a culture that, that then supports that in how the railways run.
1: Thank you very much, Maggie. Thank you. And
4: finally, Peter Hendy.
2: So um, I I, I think it would be nice to think that it would never uh, be needed to make a choice between um, uh, capacity for, for passengers and, passen- and, and capacity for freight. I, I think we're never likely to get to that point in my lifetime if only because actually the railway, uh, regardless of COVID, uh, has been relentlessly filling up with trains over the last 25 years. And it, and, and I think even whatever the new normal is after COVID, um, I think there'll be increasing pressure from both passengers and freight. Uh, and, and of course there is a difference because uh, passenger tra- passengers, real people um, me- measure, their effective uh, use of of journey time uh, in minutes and seconds Uh, and I know that the freight industry also does that in terms of the uh, importance of uh, logistics and distribution for things like food and fast moving consumer goods and uh, retail stuff Um, so but there are always going to have to be choices to be made the question in my mind is can you make them effectively and can you persuade everybody involved that, you, that you're you making transparently the right choices in in the right way? I, I think in the light of Keith Williams' work and, and the white paper, I feel quite emboldened to say that we know that we haven't always made those choices uh, at all uh, transparently and sometimes right in the last few years, because the railway has been a very complicated place to manage uh, and there are endless different people involved in it. Network Rail is running signalling and control systems, but the franchises and the franchise specification, the passenger franchise specifications, let by the department, uh, sometimes uh, conflict with the capacity of the infrastructure, never mind freight tra- traffic. So we know, we know that we can do better. I, I think Keith set out in his uh, white paper a uh an, an organization which is not uh, an organization proposal um to which passengers and freight ought to fit in but his conclusion was after looking at the requirements of passengers and freight on the railway and i think that gbr is much more likely to make those choices transparently and um holistically across the railway it won't please everybody um i don't see how it can I looked at, uh, I I think Peter mentioned earlier, the capacity of the West Coast Main Line north of of Preston. Well, I looked at the capacity of the West Coast Main Line north of Crewe in my work on Union Collectivity to look at getting uh, HS trains from HS2 to Glasgow and Edinburgh in three hours something, three hours, not very much. Now, the chances of building a new railway from Crewe to Scotland are are vanishingly small. The economics of it just won't be there and the mileage would be tremendous. What you you actually need to do is to assess every mile of the West Coast main line, work out which pieces need freight uh, loops and a bit of duplication in order to keep freight trains moving, as Maggie says, not to start and stop them, but also give effectively fast passenger times. You need to do that on a very granular basis. And even when you've done it, you'll have some capacity limitations, but actually working out which, working out what what the right projects are to do, what the right priorities to offer is is very likely to be something that GBR will be better at than the railway industry has been in the recent past, but it will still require compromises. I, I suppose the last thing to say is that there must actually be places to contemplate whether or not freight traffic should really have priority. Um, I, I've been because uh, 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 John Smith from, Greg, uh, from uh, uh, GBRF takes everybody you can uh, on the Felix, Felix Day line from Felix Day to Ipswich, which is used by container trains from Felix Day not only to London and the southeast but to the Midlands and to the north. Uh, and, and actually that's a, that's a single line from Felixstowe to Ipswich with a rather sparse passenger service and a very, very busy freight railway. Y- you could consider, I'm not making, I'm not. I'm. I'm being careful about being definitive, otherwise I'll get reported for it, but you could consider that the freight use of that railway is far more important than the passenger use. And what I would expect is a body like GBR to con- contemplate that in the round to see what the best solution is because I, I, actually if you can if you can produce a better economic social and uh, environmental outcome from the uh, from an exclusive use of fr- the freight railway well, at least GBR ought to consider that it's not able to do that currently because the specification in the Anglia franchise specifies a passenger service between Felixstone and, and, and Ipswich. But I, I think that we we would be deluding ourselves if we didn't think that there were some choices that you could make, which would be different, and the outcomes would be different, and they might, on a societal basis, be better outcomes if freight traffic got priority. So I wouldn't rule it out. But for the, but for those listening who want to write about it in 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 railway journals I'm not suggesting a withdrawal of a passenger service what i'm suggesting is that somebody ought to think carefully on a holistic basis about the best way of using that infrastructure capacity and that shouldn't rule out prioritizing freight over passengers in the right places
1: absolutely thank you very much good points well made and I, but I also want to bring in some road elements to this as well, because I think we've had a very, very rail heavy discussion. The strategy is about road as well. So I'm going to try and link in some of the um, some of the thoughts about decarbonisation and fueling as well on, on the roads. So um, we've got the, the question is, what are the plans to improve facilities and capacity at the north seaports and to put pressure on the carriers to improve the feeder services for sea freight container, f- sea freight, container freight into the north and lessen the need to rely on southern ports of southampton and Felixstowe. now in terms of um what i see from my perspective on this on this question um it's we've got um the um sort of advancement of freeport so when you think about the um, the, um there's ports in humbert liverpool and tees have all got freeport status um in the north and i do know that um throughout the um when when Felixstowe got quite busy with content with um container traffic and there was a backlog of containers needed to be moved out out of Felixstowe, there was some of that some of that traffic did actually move into the humber so people were thinking oh actually we could go to a different port so i do know that there, there has been a shift um in traffic the other um thing i think is is worth mentioning from uh, from a northern port perspective is that we've got fantastic road links so when you think about into the Port of Immingham, um, you, you straight or you're out of the port and you straight on the A180 and then you straight onto the motorway network. So and that, that can that does work in um in other in other port areas as well. We need more resilience, um, especially for the northeast on the A66, A69, which I know is a subject of national of national highways project that we we st- we as TFN are involved in. Um and 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 those connections um need to be more resilient because there's not that many of them. But they are but they are there and they are part of the they are part of the um, Pan Northern connectivity in terms of um, when you look at the decarbonisation aspects. I know we've got workers TFN looking at the at, um, electric vehicle charging networks and hydrogen refuelling networks. And I think some in some somewhere along the line, there needs to be some sort of certainty from government about which 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 horse it's going to back on the on the refuelling um, and on the and on the fueling question. Now Tesco's have got a um, brilliant freight train, no um, brilliant new electric lorry, 37-ton lorry, doing a shuttle of 60-mile round trip in Wales. So there's a good, there's a test bed of some technology that's coming forward, but these batteries need are really huge. So um, Peter, Peter Hendy, would you like to open this, open um, your closing remarks on the
2: bit of the question? Thank you so i i haven't really got much to add on that um on that uh on that last point about about ports i think the in, internal um road and railway system for the united kingdom has to respond to the use made of ports and the investment that port owners and government want to put, put in them um so i'll leave it at that and I, I would just conclude by saying i think it's really helpful to have this seminar uh, i think it, i think it's really helpful to consult at this juncture on a freight and logistics strategy for the north. We in Network Rail will be responding. Uh, that, that strategy can take into account the Union Connectivity Report and government's welcome to my proposal for a UK strategic transport network, uh, and um, I hope that the outcome is a really good piece of work and I hope that therefore it then influences government policy and what regional and local government do about freight in the North England. Um, And uh, with that, I'm going to have to go because I actually have to be somewhere else in about 30 seconds, but thank you very much for listening and taking your time.
1: Thank you very much, Peter. That's great. Thank you very much. Uh, Peter Kennan. Uh,
3: Thanks, I can be very brief. Um, In my opening remarks, I talked about the importance of integrated hubs. It's uh, road and rail and. uh, I also uh, talked about the importance of inland ports, Um, so I, I really think it's already happening a lot of this that we're talking about um we've, we've seen we've seen switch to rail um out of imingham uh short a short flow across to the iport in doncaster we've got flows in, in and out of teesport of short sea boxes it's happening because decarbonization and supply chain pressure is, is making it happen and it will continue to happen so uh, i i think I think the the linking together of road networks and rail networks at ports is really important. We've got people to have choice depending on the actual uh, type of goods they're trying to convey Um, and. uh, Really, in terms of closing remarks, um, I, I just want to encourage as many people on this webinar. Uh, to give replies. No reply is too small. There's one. There's only one point that you want to make because you think it's important. Please don't sort of hang back. Make the point because uh, we're really anxious to make sure that we reflect the views of the whole north. Thank you.
1: Here, here, Peter. That's absolutely. That's a real crucial point. If you've got yeah anything, if you think oh, there's an Amazon ve- vehicle outside and it could do something different, tell us. Um, we're really anxious to hear that kind of feedback. Um and then Maggie will come to you. Thank
4: you. Yeah, thanks. I mean, look in terms of, of, of ports, I think for me the key part is that that people will make choices that meet their needs as users. And it's absolutely critical that the people the businesses, particularly in the north of England, who wish to import or export goods have the fastest, the most efficient route to market that they can. And sometimes that will mean going, heaven forbid, down south and intercepting a ship that's on one of the global circuits out to the Americas or the Far East. And those ships are not coming away from that global circuit. Equally, there are flows out to Europe and to the Americas that are coming at pace to ports across the north of England, And therefore, we need to give those businesses the right road and rail links to get their goods into those ports and into those distribution networks as quickly as possible. As an island nation, we already have a disadvantage in terms of routes to market. And therefore, we need to do everything we can to make sure that people are as competitive as they can be if we're to build back the economy. Uh, So I think, you know, there's all sorts of, of good work done in the draft strategy, as Peter and others have said. Uh, hopefully lots of people will respond to it and we we'll look forward to to working with you, Lucy, on on the next steps and taking the strategy forward into implementation.
0: That really was um, a fantastic uh, webinar, Lucy. The freight and logistics strategy really is a fantastic piece of work. Lucy, um, as you say, this, this consultation feedback and responses will then be gathered, analysed, there'll be further work to update the strategy based on all of this amazing feedback and insight that we get. That process, I know, is your, uh, your next thing that you're looking forward to. Um, that'll take however long that takes and then you'll come back when the, the final version is ready and tell us all about it and we can say, right, we've got the strategy, here's what's next.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, I mean, we're going to we're going to make the changes and then we're going to set out the recommendations that we've all agreed as across the north Um the board will agree. Well, hopefully the board will agree it and then we'll crack on um, and deliver against those recommendations that, that we set out. So our recommendations will pull those together and they will be there'll be some around decarbonisation that will be really important about data and modelling so we can share all that intelligence across the north and beyond and Then, um, a sort of strategic approaches to, to warehousing and logistics, and those, those, the three main elements that we hope to bring forward, um, and also anything else we've forgotten because it's consultation, and if there's a big, massive gap, we'll add it in.
0: Fantastic stuff, thank you so much once again, Lucy. As I say, everybody, please do stay in touch, um, and keep an eye out across our channels so particularly on social media twitter instagram facebook and linkedin will continue to spread the latest news on there and we will see you all again very soon thanks for listening thanks for listening to the transport for the north podcast don't forget you can subscribe on spotify and soundcloud so you never miss an episode you can find us on twitter linkedin and facebook for all our latest updates And join us on our website where you can find all the latest news and sign up to our All Points North newsletter.